The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time to open up God's Word together. If you have not already, let me encourage you to take your copy, or if you need one, grab one in the pew rack in front of you. We're opening up to Genesis 28. We return back to the book of Genesis after a three-week break. We are uh, calling this sermon series Generations of Grace, the Lives of of the second and third generation patriarchs and the story of God's grace in the book of Genesis. We're going to Genesis 28 this morning. This is now our our eighth in this series uh, with special attention on uh, Jacob. This morning we're going to find uh, Isaac blessing his son Jacob and sending him off. And uh, so as you're turning there to the book of Genesis, uh, this series really does focus on the second generation of the family of Abraham, his son Isaac. Uh, and really, quite frankly, the mess of this family. Uh, this family is quite a bit of a mess. Uh, in fact, the third generation was told that there was going to be a division between twin brothers. Back in Genesis 25, uh, twin brothers were told that the older will serve the younger. That's speaking about Esau and Jacob. Esau is technically older, but Jacob is technically younger, even though they're twins. And, and this storyline in the second half of Genesis is focused on how disruption and chaos comes into this family by way of manipulation and conniving and scheming. Uh, but God has His purposes. And as we particularly focus on uh, the man Jacob, uh, we learn that his name actually means deceiver and schemer, that he is born grabbing his twin brother's heel, that his name in Hebrew literally means heel grabber, such to draw out this, this image of trying to trip up his brother, grabbing his heel. And he really lives into the reality of his name in various ways. Uh, but Jacob is a man who is... A schemer. Now, as we approach this family again and see them now in this episode, there is really a great contradiction that's before us in the pages of the Scriptures, and I want to make sure that we're paying attention to it, that this family in and of themselves is not a family that outwardly would have any cause to attract or earn God's grace and favor. There is nothing outwardly by way of disposition about the behavior of this family that marks them out as special because, in fact, they're actually seen as being quite human in their scheming and in their deceiving even of one another. But this is the family of the covenant. For all of their sins and for all their failures, this is the family of God's covenant. And God has a plan for this family. And the big picture is how God's plan for this family will result in many, many generations later uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ to be born as the true son of Abraham. And that means that God's plan for this family is the plan for His own son. And that means it's the plan for you and I to come into this family. This family with all of its mess and disruption. And if we're honest, you and I fit right into this messy family. For all sorts of different reasons. But the book of Genesis captures the real life of the early beginnings of this patriarchal family, which is the family of God's covenant grace. And as we turn down to Genesis 28, we're going to find Isaac sending off his son Jacob and giving the blessing of God's covenant grace to him. Sending his son away with a blessing. Now, um, if... If you have children and you've ever sent your children off, whether it was 
to uh, sleep over away or a week away at camp or perhaps college or whatever else, if you've experienced the sending away of a loved one for a season of life, you can enter into the emotional state of this chapter as Isaac is going to send his son away and really, in fact, never see him again. And as he sends him off, he gives God's blessing to him. So that's what we're focused on this morning. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. And we will hear it together. Heavenly Father, as we open up the Scriptures, um, we confess again, Lord, that we believe that Your Word is true. And that these words on these pages are in fact living words filled with spiritual truth that we might hear and mark and obey that which You speak to us. So Lord, as we see this family, remind us that by faith we are a part of this family And the blessings that are promised here are indeed our blessings to enjoy in and through Jesus Christ. So speak now, Lord, for your servants wait to hear your voice. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear God's Word, Genesis 28, and the first nine verses. Genesis 28, this is the Word of God. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May He give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Jacob, Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother." Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Do keep your Bible open here as we consider uh, blessing and cursing here in the book of Genesis. So Jacob is leaving his father's house, his father Isaac, and as he goes out, he receives direction from him. Now again, as I said, you know, people come and go from our homes as it may be, and it is likely the case that, that we do not have such a ceremoniously grand moment of declaration to, to our children or the people who are within our household, but that is certainly the case here in this family because this family is the family of the covenant. And when Isaac sends his son Jacob away from their home and to his Uh, his brother-in-law's homeland, he wants Jacob to know that he goes 
with certain realities present with him, certain promises, certain assurances, and that's very much the focus of this section. But it's not just, as you see, his words to Jacob, but how Esau also receives how Jacob is blessed. There's always tension that exists between this covenant family, between Jacob, the son of the covenant, and his twin and older brother Esau, who does not receive his inheritance of the covenant, but instead is passed over by God's sovereign purpose and by Esau's own choosing. And the contrast between Jacob, who receives the blessings of God's covenant, And Esau, who is passed over from the blessings and instead receives the curse of the covenant, is very much the focus here of this section. But also, of course, the main point is God's own grace in His own covenant. But what's what's happening here? I want to get into the details particularly, and particularly the details of the blessing itself, so that you and I can appreciate uh, what God is doing multi-generationally in this covenant family. Jacob sends, uh, is sent away by Isaac in order to secure a wife from the land of his mother so that he would not marry from among the women of the land that they currently lived in. Now, if you look back just earlier to Genesis 27 at verse 46, uh, Rebecca, that's Jacob's mother, says, If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So Rebecca understands that she does not want her son to marry from among the Canaanite women. And there's a particular reason for that. And that reason is because uh, marriage among the people of God with the Canaanites would produce effectively a, uh, a religiously mixed marriage. It would take the people who are self-confessed pagans and join them to the people of God's covenant. And this principle of mixed marriages as it relates to religious issues is something that both the Old Testament and the New Testament is focused upon. And for Isaac to want to be sure that his son Jacob has a wife from among his own people is something that actually... Isaac's father did for him. Back in Genesis 24, Abraham sent a servant from his household to go and find a wife for Isaac, the promised son. And now Isaac is doing that same thing for Jacob, not sending a servant, but sending Jacob himself off to the same land to find a spouse. Now, if you want to look into this in some detail in the New Testament, you would need to look into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Apostle Paul addresses the principle of religiously mixed marriages that the New Testament calls unequally yoked. When there are competing religious commitments among spouses, it oftentimes leads to great controversy, and that's exactly what Isaac is looking to protect his son from. So he says to his son, go to the land of your uncle Laban and find for you there in that land a spouse. Now, if you're paying attention, you pause there and say, wait a second. Wait a second. I can do enough kinsmanship genealogy to say that seems a little bit weird. Uh, Isaac is saying to his son, essentially, go find a wife among your first cousins, right? And for some of you, that's a real stumbling block. So I do think that the text addresses this. So we can pause here for just a moment and address this word about ancient Near Eastern, Near Eastern kinship uh, 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 anthropology. We use the terminology of first cousins. And uh, we use the term pejoratively, kissing cousins to say that first cousins ought not to be in relationships with one another. 
and culturally that makes good and right sense for us, but in the world of the Old Testament, especially in the kinship anthropology of the world of the Old Testament, there would be a distinction of first cousins, and the distinction is there is such a thing as a parallel cousin and a cross cousin. And these types of cousins are different things. So I wonder if anyone has heard anything about this before. Ancient Near Eastern kinship anthropology, first cousins are not all the same in the world of the Old Testament. So for example, a parallel cousin is a cousin from your parents' same-sex sibling. Or in other words, the child of your father's brother the child of your mother's sister. Parallel cousins are cousins of your parents' same-sex sibling. Distinct from a parallel cousin is what is called a cross cousin, which is a cousin from a parent's opposite-sex sibling, namely the child of your father's sister or the child of your mother's brother. Now, we hear that in Western society and say, that's still a first cousin. I don't care if it's my brother's sister or if it's my mom's brother, it's still my first cousin. And culturally, that's true in our society, but at this time, that's not the case. There is a distinction between parallel cousins and cross cousins. Parallel cousins would be equivalent to us being seen as kissing cousins, marrying your first cousin, etc. But a cross cousin, a cross cousin, would belong to a particular descendant choice to protect and strengthen and preserve your family lineage. To marry a cross cousin would not be seen as intermarriage. To marry a cross cousin would not be seen as intermarriage. But anyway, interestingly, this is the only time that we have on record of Isaac speaking his father's name. This is the only time in the pages of the Old Testament when Isaac speaks his father's name, Abraham. The focus on this is not the issue of kinship, anthropology, although that's interesting. The issue is fundamentally that Isaac is sending his son Jacob away, but he's not sending him away with nothing. He is sending him away with a blessing. Isaac believed in this principle of covenant blessing because he had lived his entire life under the protection of God's covenant blessing. Flip back very quickly to Genesis 26. Genesis 26 at verse 24. This principle of God blessing the family of the covenant, God blessing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the storyline of the book of Genesis, really and truly. In Genesis 26 and verse 24, it says that God appeared to Isaac saying, I am the God of Abraham. He's saying, I am your father's God. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for the servant Abraham's sake. God came to Isaac, the second generation patriarch, and said, Isaac, as I was with your father, Abraham, so I will be with you. Your father's God is your God. Isaac learned that and lived in that confidence. And God's promise to Abraham 
The promise that God gave to Abraham of land and seed and blessing to be God to you and to your children, that same promise was issued to the next generation. God gave the promise to Abraham, and then He gave the same promise He gave to Abraham to Isaac. God's promises to Abraham were made effectual to Isaac. Go back one more chapter to Genesis 25. Because when Abraham is at the point of death, when he's in his old age, Genesis 25 verse 5 says that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And that is talking not just about material prosperity, but it is talking about the inheritance of God's covenant faithfulness. And we know that because in Genesis 25 verse 11, it says, after the death of Abraham, what? God blessed Isaac. And that is not just some throwaway word, oh, God bless you type of thing. No, to be a recipient of God's blessing is the language of being a recipient of God's covenant. God gave His word and promise to Abraham. Abraham dies, and the promise goes to Isaac, the covenant son. And just as Isaac lived under God's covenant grace and mercy and protection, so now does Isaac say to his son, my son... The God of my Father is your God. This principle of multi-generational covenant inheritance, a very important reality here. Isaac now is going to pass the blessing of God to his son Jacob. So as you go back into Genesis 28, what's happening here, specifically at Genesis 28, beginning at verse 3, is that Isaac is blessing his son, imparting the blessing of the covenant upon his own child. Now, as you think about this, just with the whole kinship anthropology issues, there's some cultural realities here that can be difficult for us to really understand because as we hear this language of blessing and passing on a blessing and being within the covenant, it might be easy to think that this whole reality of having the blessing of the covenant is like possessing a baton in a relay race. Somebody has it, then they pass it to the next person, then they have it, and on and on and on. I have it, then you have it, etc., etc., etc. But to receive the blessing of the covenant is not like passing a baton in a relay race where only one person can have it at one time. It is rather more accurately explained that covenant blessing is like living within a household. And, and Abraham is in the household. And Abraham says to his son Isaac, Isaac, come into this household. And Isaac joins his father in the household and so shares in the covenant blessing. It's not the case that there's only one occupant at a time, but rather that Isaac joins his father in the household of God's family. And just as Abraham said to his son Isaac, so now Isaac says to his son Jacob, my son, come into this household and be blessed of God. To be in the covenant with God is to come into this household and be a member of God's own family and receive the blessing. So Jacob joins his father and his grandfather in receiving the blessing of the covenant. Not as a one at a time handoff baton, but as an ingathering to the household of faith, all those who receive the blessing of the covenant. The point being here is that Isaac believes in the covenant. He believes in God. He believes in God's promise. And so when he passes it down to his son, he is honoring his father and saying, My son, receive now the blessings of your grandfather. There is a multi-generational point here. These promises 
that Isaac is now handing to his son Jacob and saying, come into the household of faith, these promises are meant to be the blessed assurance that Jacob might always live with the confidence that Abraham's God and Isaac's God is his God too. So you just pause here for a moment and think about this reality multi-generationally. That if your family has generations of Christian believers, what you have here is, just like in the days of the patriarchs, generations of grace, where the language of the God of my father or the God of my mother, the God of my grandfather, the God of my grandmother, the God of my great, 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 etc., is biblically appropriate and beautiful language. And it's that which we want our children and grandchildren to learn, isn't it? So that they would say, my God is my father's God. My God is my mother's God. And on and on to God's multi-generational faithfulness. This is the way God's grace works. This is the story of God's family where we say the God of my father, the God of my mother and grandmother and grandfather and on excessively through these various generations. Isaac believes in the covenant and its blessings, and is passing it on to his son, Jacob. And Jacob is going to need it. Jacob's very much going to need it. Abraham needed these blessings and promises. Isaac needed the blessings and promises. And Jacob is going to need them because as we're going to see as we move through these next successive chapters, life is going to get hard for Jacob. So if you're someone who has experienced difficulty in your life, you'll be able to very much identify with Jacob. Jacob's life is about to get really hard. The outward circumstances of Jacob's life, both in his family, in his extended family, among his acquaintances, the outward social circumstances of his life, and really as he reads it, what God is doing in his life, Jacob is going to come to the conclusion that it seems like everything is against me. Everyone is against me. And if Jacob, if Jacob looks at his outward circumstances and the difficulties that he faces, there is no way that Jacob is going to come to the conclusion that God is for me. If he just looks at what's happening to him, there's no way he can come to the conclusion that God is for me. And that is why God's covenant blessing exists. Because God's covenant blessings are given to His people so that they might learn to live by faith rather than by sight. Because if you just live by sight, you will come to the wrong conclusion that God is against me. But Jacob is here being told, God Almighty is for you. And so these covenant promises are the foundation bedrock of Jacob's assurance so that when all of life is falling apart and everything is a mess, this is a sure and steady, firm foundation upon which Jacob can stand. And that's been true of God's people for every successive generation because life gets hard. Problems abound and difficulties arise all over the place. And if you are a person who is governed only by your outward circumstances, it can be tempting to come to the conclusion that God is against me and He doesn't care. But when you believe God's Word and you believe God's covenant, 
than truths like Romans 8.28, that all things work for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose, that becomes a governing reality for you so that you can live by faith rather than by sight. When everything is falling apart, you can say, this is a mess, but this I know that God is for me, not against me. And learning to live by faith is what the covenant blessing is intended to promote in God's people. To know that God is for you that he is for you and not against you. And so Isaac sends his son Jacob out with these assuring words. Now, what are the particular details? That's just generally speaking. The particular details are all very important. Look again at verse 3. Because there are three specific details to pay attention to in this blessing. In verse 3, Isaac says to his son Jacob, God Almighty bless you. Isaac is there using a particular name for God. In Hebrew, it's El Shaddai, the God of power, God Almighty, the Omnipotent One. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. Isaac knows that when he imparts a blessing upon his son, he's not calling upon the name of some other foreign god, which is actually just an idol and no god at all, something made up among the nations of that era. It is not the case that he's calling down the blessings of some random god or some false deity or some idol. No, he is saying, God Almighty, the only God that there is, the God of the covenant, this God, my son, This God bless you. This is the name that God gave to Abraham that Abraham might know Him personally. El Shaddai, God Almighty. I am God Almighty, God said to Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless. And this same God is the one that Isaac calls upon now to bless his son. You know, different people believe in different types of gods that the Bible just calls idols. But Isaac knows the one true God. And he says, this God, my son, this God. And he is called El Shaddai again, which means God Almighty, the Omnipotent One. It also translates as the Powerful One. And the reason why God told His people to call me the God of power is because God intends that the promises that He gives to His people that His people receive them as from the authoritative sovereign voice of the God who has sufficient power to enact His promises. The God of power is the God who issues forth the promise. And when the God of power issues the promise, He is sufficiently powerful to accomplish the promise. It's worthless to get a promise from someone who's not strong enough to enact it. But God says... I am the Almighty God, the Powerful One, such that my promises are as sure as my word. So I am God Almighty, Isaac says. My son, God Almighty, bless you. The one whose promise is strong enough to fulfill. Secondly, notice how he says, still there in verse 3, God Almighty bless you, Jacob, and make you, Jacob, fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. Seems like a strange language there. A company of 
peoples. We don't usually think about company in that way. But when Isaac says to his son Jacob, God Almighty bless you, that you may become a company of peoples, he is issuing forth what has been rooted in the very promise from the very beginning of the covenant, that this covenant was never intended to be kept and reserved among one family lineage, but that it was to expand that it was to expand into a massive group of people. The language there, a company of peoples, in Hebrew, it's the word kahal. In Greek, it's the word ekklesia, which is the root word for ecclesiology, what we call church. When Isaac says to his son Jacob that you may become a company of peoples, he says to his son Jacob that you might become a church. Because rooted from the very beginning of God's story of His covenant is the promise of a gathering of a people that in Hebrew we call a kahal, and in Greek we call it ekklesia, and in English we just call it church. That's you. When God gives the blessing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is for the purpose of gathering together a people from many different families from many different backgrounds, from many different nations and tribes and tongue. And you and I are the fulfillment of this very promise that you may become a church, Jacob. Jacob's name is eventually going to be changed to Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel will come from him. And so the story of Israel is going to come from this lineage of the patriarchal family. But the story of the church itself is rooted in this promise. Isaac says to Jacob that you may become a church. That's the second thing. The family of Abraham. That's why the kings sing, Father Abraham had many sons. Because Jesus Christ is the true son of Abraham. And by faith, you and I are the sons and daughters of Abraham included in this family that you may become the church. That's the second thing. Thirdly, look now at the specific details and notice them, hopefully as perhaps familiar to you. The details that Isaac blesses Jacob with in verse 4 are the exact repetition of the Abrahamic covenant from Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. It's the exact same repetition. Look again at verse 4. May He, that is God Almighty, give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Do you remember the story of Abraham? The story of the Abrahamic covenant was the story of God's promises of land, seed, and blessing. Land, a physical inheritance, seed, posterity, children, and blessing. And that's all there. Isaac says to Jacob that you may take possession of this land and with your offspring after you, seed, progeny, children, the advancement of the covenant through a multi-generational inheritance, land, seed, and blessing. God Almighty bless you, and may He give you the blessing of Abraham. God Almighty bless you and the blessing of Abraham, share it with you. God is confirming the promise to Jacob through Jacob's father, Isaac. But it's the same promise, it's the same God. And the point being is that if you can pull back from this reality, that this Abrahamic covenant is the same gospel that you and I believe in. To be embraced into the family of Abraham 
that as Abraham was the man of faith, so too are all those who come into the household of faith believing in God's promise. And this covenant promise advances from one generation to the next as father says to son, son, this is your God and this is what he calls you to and these are the blessings that he offers you to. Come into this household of faith and live in it and take delight in it and every successive generation of God's story has said the same thing. Blessing, covenant blessing is written all over this chapter, but not just blessing. Because these details now of verses 6 to 9, they, they stand out for sure. Because when God issues forth a covenant, the same covenant that promises to bless is the same covenant that threatens to curse. It just depends on how it is received or rejected. So notice how in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, that Esau overhears his father, Isaac, blessing Jacob. And Esau apparently now learns for the first time in verse 8 that to take a wife from among the Canaanite people and effectively to have a mixed marriage of religious commitment is displeasing to his parents, as if he didn't know that, but apparently he's learning it for the first time. But at this point, Esau already has two Canaanite wives, which is why Rebekah says what she says about Jacob at the end of chapter 27, that my first son, Esau, he's already taken two foreign wives for himself. If my son Jacob does that, what good will my life be? But Esau's already done it. He learns that it displeases his parents, even though he already has two Canaanite wives. So what does he do? He wants to make it right. It seems to be the case that Esau wants to make it right. So he instead decides, he goes to, verse 9, Ishmael. He goes to Ishmael. And whether you remember or not, Ishmael was Abraham's first son, not by Sarah, but by Sarah's servant Hagar. Ishmael was Sarah's attempt to subvert God's covenant and say, God needs my help if there's going to be a son, so I'll give my maidservant Hagar to Abraham. And they bore Ishmael. And God says, Ishmael is not the covenant son. Ishmael is not the covenant son. Isaac is the son of the covenant. You might need a, a family tree to follow through what I'm saying here, right? That's why your Bibles oftentimes come with these family trees. But be paying attention to this. Esau says, if I want to make this right, I know who I'll go to. I'll go to my uncle Ishmael. But Ishmael himself is not in the household of the covenant. He's outside of it because he's not the covenant son. God told Abraham that the covenant was not going to go through the line of Ishmael, but rather Isaac. And Esau, in order to make things right, goes, do you remember this all the way from the beginning? Not to his cross-cousin, but to his parallel cousin. Effectively furthering to intermarry among the family that's outside of covenant blessing. Now, with two Canaanite wives and one Ishmaelite wife, with no birthright, no blessing, living outside the home of covenant blessing. Esau continually prefers to locate himself outside of the covenant. It's what he wants to do. It's God's sovereign purpose, and it's what He wants. But if, if the covenant is blessing and life, to be outside the covenant is curse and death. And it is just that simple at the end of the day, that this is how the covenant functions. The same covenant promises 
both bless and curse. The same covenant does both things. It depends on whether or not the covenant is embraced or rejected. As the storyline of Scripture goes, Jacob, swindler though he is, sinner though he is, schemer though he is, Jacob embraces the covenant and Esau rejects the covenant. And to embrace the covenant is to be blessed. To reject the covenant is to be cursed. The same covenant that blesses, curses, depending on how it is received. Why am I saying this so explicitly? Because it relates exactly to what happens at that table. Because the covenant in Christ is the same in substance as the covenant with Abraham. It's God's covenant grace to bless and bring salvation and come into the household of God. And that covenant in Jesus Christ is either embraced or it is rejected. The same covenant is set forth in visible signs here at the table. To embrace the covenant is to embrace Jesus Christ. To embrace Jesus Christ is to be blessed and receive life. But to reject the covenant, to reject Jesus Christ, is to be cursed and given over to death by your own choice. And when we embrace Jesus Christ, we find that His promises are both given to us, signed and sealed in our baptism, and confirmed and strengthened as we eat and drink at His supper. Because if you and I just walk through life only by sight, we will conclude that this fallen world with its difficulties in life means that God is against me. But to live by faith in the God of the covenant and the Savior of that covenant is to learn to live by faith and say, no matter what happens and no matter what transpires around me by life and family and friends and social circumstance and any other circumstance, I know that this bedrock truth is true, that God is for me. And at this table and at this font, that promise is signed and sealed and secured and strengthened so that I might live by faith in the God of the covenant. And so, when Isaac sends his son off and says, Son, this is the most important reality in all of your life. So too, by the Lord's day, God Himself is saying to you, Daughter, son, I am your God. And these promises are given to you such to secure your confidence that you might learn to live by faith rather than by sight and know that you are within this household of faith. You are in this covenant. Jacob departs and the promises of God go before him and behind him and all around him. And you as a Christian believer, when you come to church on the Lord's Day, your life as a Christian, the promises of God surround you and the covenant is around you and among you and within you and go before you and behind you and hem you in from all sides to say, this is the most foundational reality for your very life who your God is and the promises that He issues forth to you and says, believe them with all of your heart. I am your God. And that's what Isaac is doing to his son Jacob. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for you here at this table. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as we regularly do. We thank you for the Bible. And we thank you that the story of your grace and covenant is our story in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray, Lord, that we ourselves might be strengthened, strengthened by the covenant, believing and trusting in you, that your word is sure and good and true. Lord Jesus, give us faith again that we might continue to receive and rest upon you as you are offered to us again here at this table. Bless us now, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.